Good morning, everybody. We're glad you're here. Welcome to Mon Ellison. It's, um, it is officially fall. Uh, we, some people have different indicators. Can, what's that? Okay. So, um, you know, different parts of the country have different traditions. You know, so for me, when I was a kid growing up in Baltimore, you got crew cuts in the summer. But I have learned that the true indicator of when fall comes is when if you can find a Mainer, someone from Maine, like we have with Lucas, when he does his crew cut. Because what that means, and you guys may not know this, but I know what it means. It means he can start wearing his knit hat and not get hat head. So if you want to know when fall, and we have some Mainers in here, if you want to know when fall is really coming, look for that Mainer to get his hair cut sometime late September, October, and then you can get out your flannels. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, he cut it wicked close. Wicked close, yeah, yeah wicked. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, so it is now fall, um, and I'm really glad about it. Michaela, if you can put the verse up, uh, I'm going to tell you where we're going to go. This is Luke 9. We have, uh, I had said last week we're going to do one more week, but as I looked at the passage, as I began to study, it's really two. So we're going to do um, the passage here and then one more Luke 9 next week, and then we'll start into the post-exilic uh, time that Donnie talked about last week. So today we are in Luke 9. There's only four um, slides you're going to see, so you can turn to your scriptures in that. I didn't print out the passages like I've done, I've done for a couple weeks, just because now we have the second screen, so I hope you can see it. I will turn back to Leviticus 16, potentially, and Isaiah 53, those will be the main passages, um, and then I try to, when I do it, not do a whole bunch of cross-references, but if you have questions as to where I got that from, I do have a lot of that in my notes up here, so you can come up afterwards. This section has three things uh, in it that may seem uh, very disjointed uh, vignettes, but uh, I'm going to try to tie them together. So we're going to see about the this, um, they come down from the Mount Transfiguration, and then there's this epileptic seizure um, that is recorded in some of the other Gospels, and Luke doesn't use that word, but um, this boy that is possessed by a demon. And then you have a passage where Jesus talks about his coming death, and then we're talking about the disciples who are arguing over who's the greatest. So those are different, three different kind of things, and they're all in this passage. I'm going to try to tie them together. And then uh, if you're new here or just starting to visit, usually we don't spend a lot of time, I don't tend to spend a lot of time talking about what our church is doing or the vision for our church, but I'll weave some of that in today um, only because we're in such a new season and we're, we went through COVID and then we jumped right into almost two years of the building being for sale, which is just rough on any church um, in terms of uncertainty. And then we've kind of landed here. So I think it's a good time to pause. And, and if it works, if um, I'll be watching the time. If I can, I may actually do that in the middle and it may seem like, why is he doing it now? Well, Jesus looks ahead in the middle and I'm gonna take my lead from there and then come back down um, into the scriptures. So that's the plan. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, we're so grateful for the scriptures. As Charity read, it's just, it's, it's gold. It's gold we've been given, and we're grateful for it. 
I pray that you would speak to each one of us as we look at this passage. There are things that we can draw, every one of us, regardless of our, where we are in life or who we are. We know that your scripture is what we need. It's the bread that we need to chew upon. I pray that by your spirit, you would allow us to receive the nourishment that you want us to receive. And may we stand in awe of who you are in gratefulness and continued passion to follow you, Lord. And I ask that you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So um, the thing I want to say big picture-wise is there are um, – I grew up in Baltimore, and I worked on the Chesapeake Bay. And one summer, I worked with a pier builder. So those of you who haven't been on the bay or the bigger water, think of like a dock at Smith Mountain Lake. Okay. And um, what we would do is we'd take telephone poles, and there's this massive pile driver that would, like, rattle your teeth if you were too close to it, just pounding these telephone poles into the ground. And then you would build your pier uh, out on it. And that's where I learned to back up on a tractor because I used to drive stuff out on the pier, and I would have to back up. Um, and the margin of error was slim, and the punishment for error was very big, um, falling off of that. And then most of what we were dealing with were marinas for sailboats. So you had this thing called, we call it a catwalk, or a, to make the slip, the technical word for where the boats were. And that was a skinnier thing that went out so that you could access the boat. So the idea that I want to put forth is that each church is like one of those um, marinas that you would see. As you drive, ride your boat around the bay, you would notice the pier, how far it went out, um, and you would notice the catwalks. Uh, the doctrines, the truths, to me, are those center pier things. There's a big um, pounding things that allow us to build our way out into this world in faith. So one of them we're going to hit in the middle is the atonement. That's a big one. That's a big down the middle. There's another one that would be more like a catwalk, and you notice the churches by their catwalk. So um, one of them might be for us, we're going to talk about how we view demons. Is that something that happens today or doesn't? And people could view it differently. But you tend to view churches by what they're focused on. So our church has had certain catwalks in it that have made it maybe look like different ones. So when Mark and Kathy moved here, a couple things that they tried to put as catwalks that may have looked different to those boats traveling around the Bay of Lynchburg at the time was Mark really pushed not to be called pastor because one of the visions was of the pastors like the guy driving the bus and everybody else is just sitting on the bus and the pastor drives around. He was trying to instill through teaching on spiritual gifts that everybody has a role to play according to their gifting. So that catwalk looked a little different. It shot out a little bit differently than maybe some of the other ones at the time, the other churches, I mean. There's another, for example, our church has the uh, importance of prayer. So we have a prayer team, and we have a prayer and fasting team. And last week we talked um, about just the gift that we were able to do to help launch Pray Through It. So our church has a long catwalk that goes out into the bay based on prayer, and that makes us distinctive somewhat. There are different things that we hold important. So someone else's catwalk might be New King or King James only. 
Some people, that would be a big thing they would hold as a catwalk. We don't necessarily have that catwalk out there, but that would be something that someone would hold as a catwalk. So as you look at churches, we tend to just see them according to their catwalks and say, oh, that church is charismatic, or that church is this, or this church is traditional. Our, our church, um, we write a lot of our own music. That's one of our catwalks. We, we tend to um, try to lean into the artist component of the body of Christ. Some other churches don't have that catwalk. So when you look at us um, as a church and any church, we want to look mainly at the pillars that are down there that are the doctrines that were built on. So I don't know if you remember in the fall, I started putting up some doctrines, um, try to put them into sayings and things that we could remember a little bit more because those truths I want to go over. And now we have younger kids in the um, audience today, you know, and mostly on Sundays, we have the younger ones in here. When I was youth pastor here, the youth left um, during the sermon. Now they're here. So hopefully by going over these truths enough and whacking the pillar a little further when we go by, that will firm it up in our, um, in our minds. But so keep those center things in mind and then keep some of these catwalks in mind. So here we are. Here's the story. Um, the next day, and the, the previous day is the transfiguration. It's been a little while since I told you about it, but um, up on the mountain, Jesus is transfigured, and there's three of them up there with them, Peter, James, and John, and they, that's the they, the four of them, come down from the mountain, and there's a great multitude and met them. Suddenly a man uh, from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and suddenly he cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. So one of the catwalks is that when we look at a demon story, some teachers that I respect, um, Christians that I respect would say, yes, that did happen in Jesus' day, and maybe a little carryover into the Acts, the early apostle era, but demons is not something that happens for today. That's a possible catwalk. So I respect someone on that one. Um, I would warn you, if you're on that catwalk, that if you find yourself in a situation where you are faced with that, is be ready to hop off that catwalk fast. Because I'm telling you from my experience, I've seen it happen, and I'm not going to give examples. I'll give you a few things, maybe principles if you're in it. But that's an example. Some people would believe differently, and I believe um, that we will see them in heaven. You know, people and people in this room may feel differently about it. But this definitely, everyone would agree that it happened in this um, instance. And so try to... Uh, one thing also, as I, I stay on Luke, but Matthew talks about it in 17 and Mark in chapter 9, I'd encourage you to go back and look, because the father in this, um, in this passage, he gets a lot of coverage uh, in this, and we actually hear more of this father's words than most of the disciples. We would all say the disciples are really important to our faith. We don't have specific words from most of them. But this guy, we get to hear some stuff. And so I would encourage you to, to look at that and, 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 um, and follow his thinking. And so I'll try to put you in his spot. In uh, the other Gospels, he talks about since childhood, this has been going on. So this is not a new thing. This didn't just happen this weekend. This has been going on. So imagine this guy's life. 
you know, it could be when the child was little that the mom could handle it. But what if he's now 14 and all these things are happening and the, the boy is just too big for the mom to catch? So it might have even shifted to something they did together to now the dad is jumping in the water to save him or pulling him out of the fire. Imagine what life is like for that dad. Imagine your nephew's wedding and they invite you, but they do really want you to come with your son that may flip out and take the whole focus off of the wedding. You don't get invited to things socially if you have a child like that. And this has been going on and on. Imagine the marital strain that they were going through because this isn't what anyone hoped for when they got married, and yet this is their reality. And imagine how alone they were. It would take a really good friend to stick in there with you week after week, year after year, if this could happen at any given moment. Imagine what it's like for the dad. And let that be an encouragement to any of you that are just, you have a, a child that's challenging. Um, this is, it's hard. And you guys who are in that spot know what that's like. Just know even in the scripture, the Lord has compassion for us. And that's a real thing. Imagine what it's like for this boy. He was young when it happened, so it's, it's likely, it's, it's a guess on my part, but he may not remember what it was like before this was part of his life. If, if you have, uh, for example, mine's very minor, but I get migraines. I'm having a good day, and then all of a sudden, bam, I get a migraine, and I'm kind of out for a couple of hours. Imagine what it's like for this boy. He just wants to have a good day. Maybe he's finally playing with the neighborhood kids. They're playing baseball or the version of that, and they're out there, and then suddenly there he goes again. And he's just, he could probably feel it happening. Um, imagine what it was like for him. Just as it's like, again? Again? So it was torture for this little boy. Again, very alone. Probably hears his parents talking at night, like, what are we going to do now? It's throwing him in the fire. I mean, we can't keep going like this. So imagine what it's like for the little boy. Imagine also the disciples, you know, um, they're down there. Uh, in the other passages, it's, it says the scribes are arguing with them. You've got this big crowd. You've got this dad asking them to do something. Meanwhile, Peter, James, and John are up with Jesus. They left. They probably didn't tell them, you know, I'll be back at 10 a.m. They're just gone. So for the other nine, they may be thinking things like, well, didn't he take... Peter, James, and John to heal Jairus' daughter? I mean, is he going to rotate this thing where he takes three of us at a time? Like, this is twice now. They're up there. Like, I don't know what they're doing, but it's clearly special, and we didn't get invited. I mean, that would be a human thing to ask. And they're down there, and then they're dealing with all this stuff. And the scribes are arguing. I've got this difficult demonic case before them. They're probably thinking, where's Jesus? Like, where is he? And at least Peter, he seems to speak up. Like, where's he? So they were getting stretched. And then Peter, James, and John come down the mountain. Now, I imagine that this is the only vision I have to get the feeling of it. If you're the husband, because I'll pick on the guys, and you go away for this, like, great spiritual retreat, Friday night, well into Saturday, and you leave your wife at home with three small children. You have this wonderful time of prayer, reflection Saturday morning about the purpose of life, 
clearer vision of who God made you to be and how he accepts you. And you just float down from one of the mountain retreats and you pick up your coffee like I would at Sheets and coming home just full of peace. And you even want to sit down and tell your wife just the truth that you've learned and, and how they are blessing to you. And just, you know, maybe she would want to. And you get home and you find out she was up all night because one of the kids was throwing up. Then something else happened, and then the dog got into something, and then this is happening or that are happening. In our house, we heated the house predominantly with a wood stove, which meant she had to go out and get wood from the wood pile. We have a little farm, so one of the lowest of lows was when I was out in the West Coast meeting with different leaders, and um, it was sunny. I went for a run and called back, and Kirsten, had, we had just had Emma, and... Um, our cow had given birth, and it was perfect Lynchburg day, rainy, cold, um, 33 degrees, and it was almost dark, and I was concerned with the cow getting mastitis. So I'll, I'm in shorts and a t-shirt in Arizona getting ready to go for a run with a friend of mine, and I'm saying, no, you got to go down there and milk the cow out so it doesn't get mastitis, you know? So there she is. She's given birth a couple days earlier going down into the barn, and I am having this incredible experience out west in a whole different thing. That is kind of the feel that Peter, James, and John are coming down the mountain having seen a glimpse of heaven. These other nine are dealing with an entirely different reality here on earth. So that is what's going on here when you see all this going. And so this guy doesn't... Um, he, he kneels down before Jesus. I mean, it seems like he does all the right things, this dad. And he just says, I asked your disciples and they could not do it. So one of the things that occurred to me was maybe, you know, in, earlier in Luke, he sends them out. Earlier in this chapter, he sends them out. And one of the things he says is he gives them authority over all demons. First part of chapter 9. So what happened here? I mean, they had the authority. Apparently, it... I, I don't know. You know, it seemed to not have worked. The other thing that made me think of is, you know, as you grow and you get involved with any kind of Christian ministry, you realize that the leaders are not entirely perfect like Jesus. And it can be a frustration. And it, you think, okay, Luke 64, 640 said every student who is fully trained will be like his master. You're going to run into leaders who we're just not, whoever we are, perfectly like Jesus, and how are you going to deal with it? Because it's frustrating. Um, but it is the reality that we're going to deal with as we come to people. And you may have had this. You come to a Christian leader, and you were hoping for something, and you're just kind of leave disappointed. That's hopefully will grow in Christ so that less and less that will happen. But that is a reality for us. And so when you deal with it... Um, Go back to the scriptures and see what this dad did. He just keeps bringing it to Jesus. He keeps bringing it to Jesus. Okay, Michaela, you can uh, skip over to the next one. And then Jesus says to him, he says, um, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. And then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit healed the child, and gave him back to his father. So one of the questions is, who's Jesus talking to? And 
he answers and said, a faithless and perverse generation. That seems somewhat plural in my mind. Um, but he, at the end of it, he says, bring your son here. So one point could be he's talking primarily to this dad. I always thought he was talking to the disciples, maybe. But, you know, they were there. There's a multitude around. Um, in one of the other Gospels, it talks about the scribes. I don't think they left. So it could be everybody, all humans, but um, he, he ends it with bring your son here. And you, um, you get, I, I, I'm trying to think in, in terms of what the Lord is expecting, it seems as, as he is expecting some kind of maturity to have happened that hadn't happened yet. In the, in the people or the disciples, and I don't think in this dad, it seems like he just met him, but there, there is this expectation that humans will mature, that we will not be the same as we were. How do we apply that now? Are, are we, the scriptures say, abide in Christ, so I'm, there's a certain amount of walking with Jesus that I'm supposed to do every minute of my life. The scriptures pray, say, pray without ceasing, and yet we hit passages like this that seem to have Jesus expecting to handle certain things on our, on his own, uh, on our own. So to me, it's a little bit like being a parent where you really enjoy being with your kids, but there are certain things they may bring to you. You think, I would kind of expect you to have handled that by now. So do you see your life in Jesus as maturing in such a way that you're able to handle things in Jesus' name? Not without his help or power, I'm not saying that, but take things on that maybe you didn't a couple years ago. And so um, the demons do have power. That's something to, to keep in mind. And uh, just imagine the relief on the father's face as he sees this change in his child. Just imagine what that was like. My encouragement to you is if you do find yourself in that situation that um, it and I'm not going to share specifics of it, but it doesn't go as fast as Jesus' examples in the Bible. I mean, it seems pretty instantaneous. Don't be frustrated if it takes a little bit longer, but don't be scared. And kids, I want to say this to you. Don't you be scared, because I'm not scared of them. Um, I've dealt with them a couple times, and I am not scared. Sometimes a little more annoyed than anything else. But I know in Jesus' name, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So if you find yourself in that spot, I don't want you to think that we wouldn't know how to deal with it as leaders in the church. We would. Um, and so you can rest in that. You don't need to be scared. So um, the disciples do grow in this because he gives them back to the Father. And uh, in, in Luke 10, they send the 70 out. We're not going to get to that for probably a couple months. But I did want to point out one of the things they say is they come back to Jesus and say, even the demons were subject to us in, in your name. So I think some sort of uh, improvement happens um, between now and the next chapter because they seem to have more success in it um, the next time around. Okay, Michaela. And then uh, the scriptures say that they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at these things, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink down in your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be um, betrayed or handed over into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask about this saying. So as you um, consider what's going on here, one thing Luke 
includes a lot is this idea of people marveling. He, he wants us to grasp that when Jesus did these things, people were just stunned. So you'll see him say that a lot. They were amazed, and he says it again, while everyone marveled, then he, he seems to completely shift topics here to let this sink down into your ears. And this may be minutes or hours later. Uh, it, it, reason to believe it might be a couple hours later even, not at the exact moment um, when he casts out the demon. But they didn't understand it, and it was hidden for, from them. So one of the big pillars is this idea of atonement. And so I also try to think, as Luke looks a lot often back to the Old Testament, to show that what Jesus is doing is just a continuation of God's plan all along. One of the places we can look and with confidence know that the disciples would have gotten this concept is back to Leviticus 16. It's where you get this picture of the two goats. And, and if you look back into it, you'll see this interesting um, sacrifice that's made. There are two goats brought forth. One of them is sacrificed, and one of them, the sins of the people are symbolically conveyed onto the goat, and he's set out in the wilderness. And that's where we get the idea of scapegoat. Kids, you even heard that, like someone's a scapegoat. Well, that goat escaped. Um, it took the blame and ran. Um, and you guys have heard that phrase used, well, he was just a scapegoat. It means people put on him or her something they didn't deserve and sent them off with it. So the disciples would have had that idea of somebody making atonement for wrong. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to be handed over. That's what the Greek word is talking about, handed over. In many ways, like this goat was handed over to be sacrificed. And this is not a picture that would have been clear in the disciples' mind. And that's, that's clear to me because they just don't get the whole idea of a suffering servant or a Messiah who needs to die. They're expecting a king that's going to step up, take control, and that they, they're going to be sitting essentially on thrones with him. So through Christ's death, the atonement, and that's why we, the, we brought the cross over. This is our cross um, that we're going to wheel out just so it's here. So we remember this is part of what we do. That's why we celebrate communion once a month. We want to be reminded of the core pillar on which we stand, which is there is someone who died so we can have this. And just so you know, the other bigger cross that we flower, we save that, and it's in our barn right now, and we'll bring that out when it's time. But the question is, why, for me, is why, why is it hidden? They didn't understand it, which I could get. I, I wouldn't have understood it either. Uh, but it's this idea that it was hidden from them, so they didn't perceive it. There's that in Scripture. There's this tension where God is saying things, and in the Old Testament prophets, even they don't, um, they don't understand, and they don't get it. And the same with the parables in Luke 8.10. He says, it's been given to you to know the mystery of God's word and God's revelation. He, he's telling them truths, but to the rest of the group, it's in parables. So there is this sense that it's hidden unless God reveals it. And you remember when um, in Matthew 16, when, when uh, Peter confesses Christ, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So there is the truth that God reveals to us things. And if he doesn't, you may not see it. And you have talked, I'm sure each one of you have talked to people who just don't have a grid for God. They, they, just, it doesn't, it, they just don't see it as their reality. If you have a desire to seek the Lord, it's because God's given it to you. And 
and he is opening up for you this chance to know some truth. We need to step into it, but if it's not for the Lord, you just don't have it. And you know, as you're sitting there and, and seeking the Lord, he wants to reveal to us things, but I'll put this out. Sometimes if we're not mature enough, we couldn't handle what, he, what he's going to tell us. We just couldn't handle it. As we grow, I think there's more, because he says things like, I no longer call you servants, but friends. He is inviting us into this relationship where the more and more of him and his word and his spirit gets within us, the more we are capable to rule and reign with him. That's the good news of the kingdom. The last chapter of the Bible says we're going to rule and reign with him. Well, you can't trust authority to people who don't have a character enough to handle it. You have all seen what that does. If somebody gets power, but they don't have the character enough to handle it, they can do a lot of damage. It's a universal truth, and it's something that God knows. And so there are times where things are hidden, and in this case, this is what happened. So with the atonement, some things, just as some principles that you can ask Jesus, um, here's some just key concepts. One, we get a perfect example of a dedicated life. Jesus lived a perfectly dedicated life to the purposes of God, all the way to death on the cross, all the way to death on the cross. It's a demonstration of God's love. It's how much he loves us that he would sacrifice in this way. It emphasizes the seriousness of sin. You can try to, you know, say, oh, well, that's not so bad. When Jesus says it's sin, it's sin. It's an offense to him, and it's a stupid way to manage your kingdom. So kids, when you're hearing what sin is and someone says, well, the Bible says that's wrong, it's not just trying to make your life miserable and limit you from doing fun stuff. It's like my old Ford pickup truck. I should put unleaded, preferably non-ethanol gas in it. Um, I can pour Coca-Cola into it if I want, but if I want it to run, I better go with the manufacturer's instructions. When you take sin into your life, you are putting orange juice in your gas tank. That's just the way it works. And so he's trying to steer you away from it by one of the ways is just recognizing the cost of it. Then there's the victory over the forces of sin and death. Death does not have the final word, neither does sin. Through the cross and through Christ's atonement on the cross, we have victory. And then there's a the satisfaction to the Father um, for our sins. There is a universe with a God who has certain characteristics, and that's just the way it is. So one of the things is he doesn't lie. So we can, have, we can do that. There is a satisfaction for, for going against God's character and his law that needs to be satisfied, and through Christ's death on the cross, that happens. So let's turn to the last one, Michaela. And then this is where the dispute arises. So a dispute arises among them as to which one would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me, for he who is least among you will be great. So um, you got to think about this dispute. These are humans. I, I put on the handout that humans are arguing uh, who's more important all the time. If you watch football this afternoon, you will see them arguing over who is the goat, because the goat is playing the Ravens at 1 o'clock today. 
Tom Brady. So there's always this, who's the greatest of all time? Not Tom. He's playing for the Buccaneers. It's too locked in. Sorry. My wife corrected me on that one. Um, so there is a sense of who's the greatest. We'll argue about that. We'll, th this is what's going on. And I would like to point out that it's possible that Jesus contributed to this problem. Just like I think Jesus contributed to, remember when the waters turned to wine, there's this wedding, they run out of wine, his mom comes and says, would you do something? It, Jesus contributed to the fact they ran out because he brought a bunch of friends and they drank some of it or a lot of it, I'm sure. So in this case, Jesus may have contributed because he left. He's up on the mountain with the other three and the other three were more leaders probably. And he is up there uh, while they're dealing with Who's going to stand up to the scribes? Who's going to deal with this um, demon-possessed boy? They are dealing with who's going to be in charge because Jesus just said he's leaving. Just said he's leaving. So it would be natural to think, how are we going to do things? So that might have happened. And then here's a, um, here's a quote that came from a teacher from two centuries ago. He said, each disciple thought that no matter which place was assigned to his brethren, the principal place ought to be assigned to himself. And all of this happened in the company of Christ himself and under the noontide blaze of his teaching. So if this went on with Jesus walking with them after seeing the miracles, after failing recently, and all this teaching, if they still did it, it's something that humans are going to do now. It's just something that's going to happen. And as you look at it, you know, Satan is working. Um, he's working in the demons here. Sin is coming in. Pride is one of the biggest ones we need to watch out for. And I was thinking, how am I going to link, you know, this passage together? And there's a, there's a little section in, I haven't made it through all, I made it through a third of the way of Augustine's City of God. And in it, he has this picture of just, he spends a lot of time in the early chapters about the demons, the gods of the age. And I realized as he talked that demons are on one end way over here. Um, they only care about using people. There's no love at all. The universe is a big place. Why are they going after the humans? There's a lot of space for them, but they go after the humans. It's because the humans have something they want or need. And so, but there's no love for the human at all. This boy, they're tossing him every which way. If he dies, he dies. They don't care. As you slide down, humans in Christ's image are supposed to be entirely different. So Augustine's picture of what does a city of God look like on earth, it would have every human all the way over here fully formed in Jesus, knowing how to love as Jesus would and treating people accordingly. So it's easy for me to say, well, the demons are way down here. But if you do the continuum, the more pride sneaks in, the more you inch your way over to the demon side of the line. And knowledge can work against you. And so uh, one of these things that Augustine said, and he's around 400, you know, so they've been working out the faith for a couple centuries. He says, prideful men, without love, knowledge inflates. It exalts man to an arrogance, which is nothing but a kind of windy emptiness. They resemble demons in arrogance, but not in knowledge. There is a sense that, and I've been in it, I've been around some people who knew a lot about God, but the love of Christ just wasn't in them. 
They, you can know truth and whack people on the head of it. It doesn't mean you don't need to confront sometimes. But you can have knowledge and very little love. And that's not what Christ is calling us to do. So I'm going to pray for us and then um, and tell you what happens next. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from being prideful. Lord, may you expose it. It's one of the reasons that you died on the cross. It's a sin that you atone for through your blood sacrifice. I pray that we would build our faith on strong pillars, that we would consider the atonement, consider the price you paid. And as we sang the last song that Dan uh, Hayden wrote, no greater love uh, than laying down your life for our friends, people like us. We may not have even understood what it was all about, but you still did it for us, Lord. And so we thank you for dying for us. We pray that you would move in us, that we would love your word like gold, that we would treat it as such, and that we would seek opportunities to be fed. We pray by your spirit that you would reveal to us where we are falling short of your desire for who we are. And I ask as a body, as you guide us into this next season, I pray that you would help us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to see who we are and teach us how to be the community that you want us to be in this place at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.